Right. Well, uh, I didn't come this morning necessarily intending to address it, uh, but I think I, I'm going to. I did in first service. I just wanted to, uh, I know there's a lot of uh, questions maybe, and, and many of you live next to neighbors who are uh, frustrated and upset with the with our new neighbors and the construction that's going on. Uh, uh, first service, I got to speak through the jackhammering of whatever it was out here, and, uh, and I've since texted them, and I think they've stopped, so they've stopped. Uh, Sunday, for crying out loud. Um, so uh, I just want to give you uh, some information uh, that uh, maybe is some misinformation that's being communicated out there. Our property was uh, for sale for uh, over three years. Uh, there was a sign-up for that, and I've been under contract on multiple occasions. Uh, uh, one occasion, which was for senior living, and uh, and had to be notified to the community, and uh, the community was not super excited about that, and uh, and so that fell through. and And so uh, now we have new neighbors. We sold the property at the end of December, and uh, uh, we have. I've met with Councilman Courage on Wednesday. We had a good conversation. He understands the circumstances behind everything, and. Uh, and then we have a town hall meeting uh, tomorrow night for the, some of the HOAs. The city planner is going to be here. Councilman Courage will be here. And, uh, and so we're just going to address some of the concerns. And uh, I understand that most of the concern is with the construction of it, the trucks coming in and out. And the, and the city's handling some of that. Uh, as I found out this morning, I have the ability to handle the jackhammering on Sunday mornings at least. Uh, to, to deal with that. So just wanted you to know, but I also want you to know if you have any questions, uh, if any of you are concerned or have questions about it, you're more than welcome to email me. My email address is jeremy at lifehousesa.com. <laughs> and uh, he'd be happy to field all of your questions. No, it's ryan at lifehousesa.com. You're more than welcome to uh, email me if you have questions about it or concerns. Uh, but at this point, just so you know, we don't own the property so there's really not a lot that we can do uh, in regard to the trucks and all that stuff. So, Well, we're in a uh, series of messages called Let Your Life Speak, and we're talking about understanding our calling, our, un- our unique calling that God has placed in your life. Now, from the moment you were uh, conceived that God had a plan and a purpose for your life, Uh, Many people go through their lives not ever fully understanding what that calling is. We go through life living on the treadmill, and 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 we're just busy all of the time, and we uh, we don't allow our life to become anything other than, than what we've set out for it to become. We never identify what God's called it to become. And so as we go through this series, we're really leading up to an opportunity for us as a church in May, on May 13th to the 16th, uh, we are having a four-day accelerator to go through a thing called Unique, uh, which is something that I've personally been through, and really, I'm the only one in our church. But it's made a huge impact in my life, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on in the message, but it's, uh, it's really begun to help me understand how God's wired me, what he's wired me for, And to be able to walk in the confidence of who he says I am, not what the world says I am. So we're going through this series that's really addressing some of these issues that come up in our life. But we're also saying, hey, for some of you, you might already kind of have a clear picture of what God's called you to do. And if that's the case, that's great. But you also need to understand that there are things in life that can derail you from the calling that God set you on. 
And so this morning, I want us to talk about whether or not we've become derailed or if we're remaining faithful. And it was December of 2017, and everyone in the Northwest was ready for Christmas. I, uh, this last week, got to be up in Seattle uh, on Thursday, and if you've ever been to Seattle, uh, you know that the traffic there is horrible. We have bad traffic here. Uh, there's bad traffic in Austin, but nothing compares to Seattle traffic. Seattle traffic's the worst. It took us to go six miles at rush hour. It took us an hour. It was ridiculous. So they, had this, they have a huge traffic problem, but on December 2017, everybody was getting ready for Christmas, and they were getting ready to launch the inaugural trip for a new commuter train track or a new section of the track that was going to take people into downtown. So they're going through all of the processes necessary to get ready for this inaugural trip. They're going to transport thousands and thousands of people on any given part of the day. And as they go through the safety protocols, all the engineering involved, they, they got everyone trained. They hired a 13-year a veteran conductor who had been, conduct, I don't know, what do you say, conducting trains for 13 years. So this guy was completely experienced. They did 10 observational rides, and then they did three rides with no one on the train just to make sure that the conductor knew what he was doing on this particular part of the track. So then finally, they put passengers on the train for the inaugural ride, and there's this portion of the track where you need to slow down. The conductor in this inaugural trip was going 80 miles per hour where he should have been going 30 miles per hour. He was experienced, he was trained, but he missed it, and this is what happened. It was derailed. Three people died, dozens and dozens of people were injured. You can imagine that a deep investigation went into this, and the Seattle Times reported that on the back end of the investigation, there was really one particular conclusion that described what had occurred. The conductor made this one statement. He said, I just didn't see the signs. People's lives were irrevocably changed because of a derailment, because someone didn't see the signs. One of the challenges of sharing a story like this is that we will receive it in the same way that we receive our news cycle. We live in such a culture that has this 24-hour news cycle that it seems like something devastating comes to us almost every minute on our phones, on our computers, and all of a sudden, one, it's come to us and we've already forgotten about it. So my hope this morning is that as we navigate these derailments, that you will be reminded of the statement that the conductor made that I just didn't see the signs. George Wills said it like this. He said, few things are as stimulating as other people's calamities observed from a safe distance. It's really the description of why we like reality TV, isn't it? We love watching people's lives fall apart as long as we're in the safety and security of our home, when it happens to them. I don't want to, this morning... Um, indulge this sense of wanting to see these derailments in giving you story after story of examples of people who 
who have derailed in their life. But I do want to say that as I was growing up and, and then as I was going into ministry, I found myself becoming very judgmental of other pastors. I was judgmental because we, I grew up in an era, and it's, it's still prevalent today for the most part, but certainly in the era that I grew up, it seemed like over and over and over again, you, you started hearing, everything was being made public, that you start hearing about all of these prominent evangelical leaders who were getting derailed morally. And so I, I, I found myself judging them. I found myself thinking, how could you do that? You have the influence, you have the stage, the platform to do great things, and how could you allow your life to get so derailed? How could you miss the signs? And I, I was just reminded of a professor in college who, who reminded each of us as students that really in our judgment of those kinds of people who have been derailed, that we are just as susceptible to being those people as they are. As, as they are. That we're just one step away, that we can just make one decision where we choose to ignore the sign that leads to another sign that we ignore and ignore. And it could just as well be me as it could be you. We're just one step away to being derailed from the thing that God's called us to do. So this morning, I want to introduce you to someone who had a dream for his life, a passion, a vision. He had this calling on his life, this specific purpose that he was going to accomplish in his life. And when things got really, really hard, he was faithful and he stayed on the course. From Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. And the man's name is Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, yeah. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, he says, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in, the hand, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And I love that last line that the devil left him, fleed from him, and angels came and attended to him. May God's angels attend to us in those moments of vulnerability, of hunger, of temptation. We, we find Jesus in this location, right, this desolate location. We have a picture for, for you. It's the Judean desert. This is possibly one of the most uninhabitable places that I know of. I've had the privilege to go to the Middle East to 
uh, Israel and have actually seen the Judean desert. And whatever this looks like to you, it's hotter than what it is. Right, you just sweat all the time, and I've also had the privilege to uh, to go into the desert out outside of Dubai, and it was hot, but this was hotter. It was hot and miserable, and no one can really live in this kind of place. No thing. You you don't see any trees growing out in the desert here. It was uninhabitable, it was inhospitable, and Jesus finds himself in this place for a very, very long time. And he's hungry, and he's worn out, and all of a sudden, in the midst of being hungry and worn out, he's tempted with three tests. The tests of appetite, approval, and ambition. I know as, as soon as you hear those words, appetite, approval, and ambition, our immediate response, being good church people that we are, is when we hear the pastor speak about something to the congregation, that our initial response is, that must be the thing I need to avoid. That our response is to say, well, these, these are bad things. And I want to encourage us this morning that these actually are not bad things, they're actually good things. See, in the case of appetite, if you don't have an appetite, you'll be malnourished. If you have no sense of approval, what you'll do is you'll live your life with no sensitivity with the people around you, and you won't care what anybody thinks. If you don't have a certain measure of ambition, you'll never get anything of any significance done. They're not bad things. They're good things. The problem is, is if the good things become the ultimate things that drive your life, now you have a problem. That's when you're in danger of derailment. So as we talk about these three things, I really hope that you'll hear me say this morning that, that I'm not saying that these are bad things. What I'm saying is the excess of these things is when derailment begins to take place. In your notes, it says, when these become what motivates you in your life, now you know that they're signs. So how can you make sure that your life doesn't fall off the tracks? If you're moving towards the thing that God's called you to do and the purpose and the plan that he has for you, how can you make sure that you're not derailed? Well, the first temptation that Jesus faces is this temptation of appetite, the temptation of stones becoming bread. Bread is a good thing, right? It's a very good thing. Right? You throw a little cheese on it, it's even a better thing. Put some tomato sauce with the cheese on the bread, and now it becomes one of the, the stereotypical classic examples of the existence of God. Right? Because pizza. I mean, that's, that is the example of God's existence is that we get pizza in this life. The problem is, is we can't eat pizza all the time as much as you would like to and as much as you think your teenagers do. But it's easy for us to misunderstand what's going on here. The, the test of what's going on here is that Jesus, is Jesus going to be the kind of person that's going to use his power? Is he going to use, is he going to use his power to, 
to address these things where he gets to now meet his own desires? Is he gonna take his God-given messianic, miraculous power and is he going to satisfy himself? Is he gonna save himself? Obviously, if he does, he doesn't end up on the cross. They've done some research on elevators, and elevators are becoming more and more popular in the U.S. They're building elevators at an enormous rate. And people are riding elevators more than they've ever ridden them before. People are moving to the cities, and so the cities are building tall buildings. Because of the tall buildings, you have to have elevators. And so people are just riding elevators all the time. They say that in 2019 that there will be 18 billion elevator rides, unique elevator rides. And in 18 billion elevator rides, most of the time they work. But some of the time they don't, right? I mean, you have to imagine that if there's 18 billion elevator rides, that there's going to be a time that that it just doesn't work right, that it gets stuck. God forbid it loses its ability and falls. We don't hear too many examples of that. But you know what one of the most dangerous things to do when when an elevator doesn't work right? It's to try to save yourself. It's to try to, to, to get your way out of it by yourself. In fact, in New York, they've started kind of this PR campaign that says, um, it says, call, uh, make the call and trust the help. I kind of think that they could have rhymed that better. Like, make the call, don't fall. That would have been my PR campaign, but they didn't ask me, so... But that's how most people get hurt is when their ride in the elevator gets stuck. Now they're trying to get out. They're trying to save themselves. And the reality is, is we can't rescue ourselves. And in this story in particular, Jesus doesn't try to save himself either. If we have a desire, an inclination, if we have a want Culture tells us, the world tells us that we're supposed to fulfill that want, that we're not supposed to suppress our desire. And that's what's happening in our society today as we've, we've been begun living our life is that we're told that if you want something, you should just go get it. Appetite, the lie of the appetite, is that you are what you desire, whether it be pleasure or whether it be comfort or entertainment or sex, that that the lie that culture will tell you is that you are your appetite. And if you have that inclination, you're supposed to fulfill it. And it's killing us as a people. The clearest indication that appetite is running your life is what do you have a difficult time saying no to? You could even just write them down. Like, what are some of the things that I just have a hard time saying no to? That's probably an indication that maybe appetite is your temptation. 
There's a guy by the name of Mike Green. He says it like this, that appetites are like children. If you don't say no to them, you'll find yourself overrun. They're like spoiled brats, and they'll take over them if they aren't trained. Dallas Willard reminds us to say no to the things that you can so that you can say no to the things that you can't. We have to train our appetites and understand our desires. The second indication of derailment is that of approval. In the case of Jesus, it's the temptation of impressing people. Jesus is found at the the top, at the pinnacle of the temple, and he's looking down over the courtyard with the devil, and he, he sees people down there. And this would have been a great opportunity for him to prove that he is the Son of God. If you notice in each of the temptations, the devil begins the temptation with Jesus with, if you are God's son, do this. If you read the New Testament, then you know that Jesus did miracles, he performed miracles, but in many of the cases, he tells them to tell no one. He doesn't want to make a big spectacle about things. He's not trying to put on a show. But at the core of this temptation, if you are God's son, do this. The core of this is identity. Who you are. If you believe the truth of who you are or do you believe a lie that everyone else says you are. This story takes place pretty quickly after the baptism of Jesus. If you remember the story of the baptism of Jesus, he's, John the Baptist is baptizing him, the heavens open up, a dove descends down onto Jesus, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and, and a voice rumbles and says, this is my, son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. See, in, in that moment, Jesus knew who he was, who he is. And so is he going to believe the truth of that or is he going to believe the lie of the devil that says, if you jump off of this roof, the angels will surely sweep you up and everyone will know that you are God's son. This is a temptation of identity. And I would remind everyone in this room that you are God's daughter, that you are God's son. That is the truth of who you are. And we have a choice. Do we believe the truth or do we believe the lie of what everyone else tells us we are? In my, in my experience of going through this process of unique, it's just a tool. It's just a tool. But in going through the process and really just taking the time to evaluate, God, who do you say that I am? It brought me to a place of peace, to a place of confidence and understanding of knowing this is how God's made me. This is what he's created me to do. See, my temptation, my drift is what we call it in, in the unique process is is towards the approval of people. That when, when I find myself disconnected, when I find myself in a place of temptation, it is, I fall into this trap of wanting to appease people. 
and believing the lie of what people say that I am rather than being reminded of who God says I am. Think of it in the perspective of a, uh, of a sporting stadium. And you're, you're standing on the field and all around you are all of these, uh, these chairs, these bleachers, these stands. And who are the people in your life that are in the stands? The people that are cheering you on, the people who are jeering you on, who are booing you. In your life, who, who have you let into the stands of your stadium and are, are dictating your performance in this life? God, our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father would say, all of those people need to be on the field because I am the only one that gets to be in the stands cheering you on. He is the only voice that we listen to. Could you imagine how disastrous it would be for us as a church if I fell into a temptation where my primary aim in life was to seek the approval of you? What would happen is we would, be, we would all be chasing our tails. Instead of following our dreams, the, walking in the purpose of who God's made us to be, the third form of derailment is ambition. Ambition is the temptation of accomplishment and achievement in, in this world. The devil says to Jesus, all of this could be yours if you worship me. He takes him up onto the hillside and he, he points out to the landscape and he says, all of the riches of the world could belong to you. You could be motivated and driven towards things. How many of you are familiar, maybe you have some of these in your workplace where these, these motivational uh, uh, posters, you guys ever seen these things? Right, they're just like these sweet motivational, they're all framed really nice and I hate them. Um, I hate them because they're pithy and they're, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but there is some, some demotivational posters that I like and this is one of them. Uh, it's about ambition. It's the journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. This picture illustrates that you can be motivated, you can be driven, you can be ambitious, but if it's in the wrong direction, it could end very, very badly. When I was a kid uh, growing up, we, uh, we had garage sales a lot, seemed like. Uh, maybe it was because we were trying to get the name brand cereal that we wanted. Uh, but but we, would, we would do these garage sales. And what's interesting about garage sales is uh, they're kind of this weird, uh, quirky little thing where we, we put out all of our stuff out on our driveway or on our lawn, and we have a different valuation of our things than other people do. Right? Somebody walks up to your garage sale, and, and, and they pick something up, and you're like, oh, let me tell you about this. Uh, uh, let me tell you where I got this thing. This, this thing is amazing. Let me show you what it does. And they're like, yeah, I'll give you a quarter for it. And they're like, no, this is valuable. This is, you know, this has got memory side to it. They're like, yeah, I'll give you 10 cents for it. See, we have this different valuation of the things that we have. And at some point in your life, 
that you think you have something of great value, the reality is, is it's going to end up in a garage sale. You say, well, I'm not having garage sales because I'm a hoarder. So if you're not going to have a garage sale, then I would just say to you hoarders, that's called an estate sale. (laughs) Everything that we have, everything that we own will end up in a garage sale or it'll end up in an estate sale at some point. All our accomplishments, the things that we've achieved, no one at their deathbed says, Bring me my diplomas. Like nobody does that. Nobody says, bring me my performance reviews, my achievements, my money. Nobody does that. Matthew 4 9 reminds us all of this I will give you, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me. It reminds us that we're not, we are not what we can accomplish, but we are what we worship. In Matthew 28, at the end of that book, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The clearest indication that ambition is running your life is how do you treat people that are around you, people that work for you, people you encounter, the people you come across in your day? How do you treat your family? So do you treat people like they are means to an end or do you actually treat them as what they are, which is sons and daughters of the Most High God? See, I've already admitted to you and I've admitted to you in the past that approval tends to kind of be my drift, but as I was revisiting my notes, I was reminded of the fact that maybe a temptation of mine is this. That when you boil it down to how do you treat people, that maybe for me, the way that I treat people is more about my accomplishments than anything else. How do you treat the people in your life? How do you see people? I want us to, to just take a moment this, this morning, and we have our notes there, and I'm going to ask the guys to put the, the three temptations back up on the screen, and I want us to just reflect. So much of, of our time on Sunday mornings is, is me just speaking words to you, and, and there's a whole scale involved with this where you, you get the information, you get the inspiration, and and now you're kind of at a place, what do I do with it? And most of the time, every week, we fall back and we get the inspiration. And I just want us to take a moment, see if we can bridge this gap to where we begin to apply it into our life. What is God whispering to you today? What are the road signs? What are the signs that maybe we missed? What are the signs that we're ignoring? What are the areas of our life in which we are being tempted? What wilderness have we been in for so long that the temptation seems to be like a good option? Just take a moment and do that.
God, help us see the signs before it's too late. Help headlines turn to heartache. That we might stay on the course, that we may keep pressing on to the things he's called, you've called us to do. God, there are lives in this room that have been in the wilderness for a very, very long time. And they're under the threat of derailment. God, help us to not turn good things into ultimate things. Be near to the person who, who thinks they need to save themselves today. But for the one who's struggling to say no to something, God, that there wouldn't just be a, an influx of willpower into their life, but God, that you would bring someone around them to walk with them, to be with them, to come alongside of them. God, will you whisper into our souls today? Will you Remind us that we are sons and daughters. We are who you say we are. And God, that's why we love you. God, I thank you that you sent your son to this earth to show for us an example of what it's like to remain faithful. And Lord, I'm grateful that Jesus remained faithful all the way to the cross, even a death on a cross, so that we could be saved. We celebrate that today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do two things this morning. We're going to invite the ushers to come. They're going to receive our offering. And then we're going to receive communion today. I'm going to give you some instructions on communion in just a moment, but I'm going to pray for our offering, and then, uh, and then we'll get into communion. Father, thank you for just the privilege it is to, to participate, to be in the midst of your kingdom, to be a part of your kingdom. God, we, we recognize that everything that we have is such a blessing that comes from you. It's a blessing that not just our money, our resources, God, but our time, the giftings that you've bestowed on us, that you've given us, God, all of those are a part of the blessing that you have given us. And so this morning as we give of our tithes and our offerings, Lord, we just are reminded of the fact that not only does this belong to you, but everything else that we have belongs to you as well. And we surrender all of our life, all of our time, all of our talents, all of our treasures to you. And say, God, would you use us to do great things? Will you use us to advance your kingdom, to be light in this world? In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead. You can drop your card in there. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we... Uh, 
We receive our communion in a little different way. We invite people up out of their chairs uh, to the tables where there's something, something I believe that's uh, meaningful when instead of just having somebody serve you and somebody come up to you, that to get up out and to have action and to have movement to go to the Lord's table. And, and we just take that little, what's now become a buttery, uh, gluten-free cracker, and, uh, and it's, it's tasty, actually, and, uh, and a little cup of juice. And then we invite you to find a place in this room, whether it be back at your seat or with friends that you're here with or family members, that you just find a place to reflect on the fact that if Jesus would have given in to the temptation, there's no way he could have been to the cross. And the fact that he went to the cross wasn't so that we would have to save ourselves, it was so that he saved us today. So we receive these elements, we pray, we find place in the room, and then we find our way back to our seats and we close our time out in worship. Will you stand with me? Father, as we go to these tables, we do so in reverence and respect, but we also do with the acknowledgement that we get to be here worshiping your name freely today because of the sacrifice that you made on the cross. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and make your way to the tables.